And if you ever learned Tanya, the Alta Rebbe, which was the first Rebbe of Lubavitch, he uh, writes in the Tanya that with the words, with the letters of Aleph Beis, God created the world. In Chumash it says, Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or, let there be light. That means that with the letters Aleph, Vav, Reish, it is with these letters he created light. Which means, obviously, that contrary to any other language in the world, which every name is an assumed name. We make up our mind that C-A-T equals an animal by the name of cat, or whatever, or a dog, or whatever. While in Loshan Kodesh, it's not an assumed name. It is a name that God created the world with the letters. And in Tanya, it says that with the letters, let's say Aleph, Vez, Nun, which means heaven, which means stone, it is with these three letters that he created the world. <coughs> that he created the stone, I mean. Or, or light, he created with Aleph of Reish, he created light. So the whole world was actually created with letters. While we want to do something, we have to use our hands or computer, while the creation was with letters. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of Breshis, we learned that Hashem, God, called Odom, and he wanted to know whether Odom will know the names of different animals. What does it mean? I mean, uh, he was the first person on, uh, on Earth. He was the one and only person on Earth. He could give just any name. So why did God ask him to name it? And says, Lir Oz, Hashem wanted him to see whether he understands what is the name for which animal. The answer is, it's not an assumed name. It's not an agreed name. But it's a name that was given by God and it was with these letters that he created this animal or this item. So therefore, we call it Loshan HaKodesh, the holy language, because this is the language that comes, stems from God himself. And it's with this language that he created the world. And since we are on this point, let's just add on one more item. Yes? Uh, sorry, but can sure. you just repeat the part you said? So the name of every animal, the first letter, is, uh, can you just repeat that, like how, how the names are related to the animal? You said... No, no. Uh, I create, I don't create, I make things. I take five pieces of wood, I put them together, and it becomes a table. So I didn't really create the table. I just put the table together. So I don't create, I don't have the power to create. The word create means something out of nothing. I cannot do that. I cannot create something out of nothing. I can take different pieces of wood and make a table. I can take a piece of silver or gold and make a ring out of it. 
Now, did, was I doing something new in this piece of metal? The metal was before and the metal is later. All I changed in, this, in the metal is just its appearance, its shape, right? But I did not make any change in the silver or in the gold. <coughs> the gold was before and it's later and it's now and it's before. The only thing is I, I shaped it, the appearance is different. When God made gold, God created the gold. Created the gold out of nothing. How was gold created? In Hebrew, gold is Zohov, Zion, Hey, Vez. Okay, with Zion, Hey, Vez, God created gold. Furthermore, it says in Tanya, and that is nothing to do with language. But since we are on it, let's just uh, take two minutes on that. In the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe explains that not only was the creation that God created with letters, but these letters are there to keep it in existence. Now, what exactly does that mean? I pick something up. I'm doing something against nature. We have gravity. And if I pick something up, I better hold on to it or else it will fall down. <coughs> so when I do something which is new, which is against the nature, I better hold on to it to keep it in that position or else it will fall down. When God created the world, this creation is not a one-time creation and then the world keeps on working by itself. No, the same power that created the world, the same power holds the world in a constant creation. To ask a silly question. It's not too smart to ask smart people silly questions. I'm going to say to you that a person is alive. You know why he's alive? Because he didn't die. Since he didn't die, so he's alive. Is that logical or not? Yes. I'll prove to you because if he dies, he's not alive anymore. So how come the person is alive? Because he didn't die, therefore he's alive. It stands to reason. Right? He's alive because he didn't die. Now let's go a step further. Many of you were in a 747 jet airliner. It's a giant, 400, 500 people, whatever. And I'm going to suggest to you that this 747 right now over the Atlantic, the reason why he is over the Atlantic 35,000 feet up in the air over the Atlantic is because it didn't land, so that's why he's there. You see the logic? He's just there because he didn't land. Since he didn't land, he's there. Now, we're going to start understanding that's a stupid statement. The 747 is 35,000 feet over the Atlantic because there is a power that keeps him there and keeps it moving. And if that power should, God forbid, stop for an instant, <coughs> there is no more 747. 
So this jet airliner is in the air because there is a power that holds him in the air and moves him. He's not there because he didn't land. That's not the reason why he's there. He's there because something keeps on holding him there. And that something that keeps on holding him there is against the nature. Because by the rules of gravity, that 747 should, God forbid, come down. But he keeps on fighting against nature. So he has powerful engines with a whole system of who knows what. I'm not uh, in the business. But uh, being there, I realized that there is uh, oil that feeds the engine, and there is air condition, and there is pressure, and there is uh, there, there, there's a whole, uh, a whole city there. So the 747 is there because something is holding him there. Likewise, the person is alive, not because he didn't die. He is alive because all the machinery there is working properly and it keeps him up, up, up. The cells keep on changing and keeps on functioning and the blood keeps on moving and keeps on uh, and, and then the, the, uh, the heart and the brain and the, uh, the liver and, and, and everything is functioning and this, the digestive system and everything keeps on working and it keeps on, it keeps the person alive because everything is working, the engine is working so it keeps him alive. If God forbid part of the engine stops working, then God forbid the person is not alive anymore. So the person is alive because we say that in Shmona Esrei, that we are thanking Hashem that He keeps us alive. So in a person, as well as in a jet, we can understand that there is a power that keeps it alive. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov says that if there is a piece of wood or a, a stone, that stone was not here before the creation of the world. It is the word Evan Aleph Veiz Nun that created that stone. That power that the word of Aleph Veiz Nun, the word of God, created this stone, that power keeps on creating the stone. This power holds up the stone. And let the power stop for a moment, the stone will go where it was before creation, which means Ayin in Hebrew it's called, Ayin Ve'efes, nothingness. There's a famous word that a rabbi asked someone, if God would like to destroy the world, what would he do? And this was a professor, this was a very scientist, a very learned man, and he said, well, uh, I guess he would bring a, a flood again, and that would destroy the world. Then the question was, but uh, it would destroy uh, life, but it would not destroy the, uh, the universe. The, the well, he said maybe he would burn, he would take the whole universe and burn it. Well, so he asked him, well, then ashes would come, would, would remain, something would remain. How, you want to get rid of the whole world, what, what would God do? All the answers he gave was not acceptable. So he asked the rabbi, and what do you think, what would he do? So simple, he would just stop creating it, and he would go back where it was before creation. 
that's how God wants to get rid of the world. He doesn't have to do something to destroy it. He just stop creating it, and it will go back where it was before the creation. Okay, yes? Yeah. I, I just had two questions. So, I mean, can you give an example of like how the word Evan is related to the, qual you know, the quality of stone? If uh, I would be able to do it, I would be in the Madriga of Odom Horitian who knew. I may good, make a good impression of you, but I don't know. Because this is something which has to do with the secret of, of creation. So uh, one, would <laughs> one would have to learn a lot of Kabbalah in order to start having a beginning of an understanding of what that means. The second question was, uh, so <coughs> since ayin is a word, and therefore it's also part of creation, therefore ayin didn't exist before Hashem created ayin? Exactly. Well, ayin? No, ayin is not a being. Ayin is absence of something. No, but I'm saying it's not like nothing or creation. There was nothing. There was no nothingness. There was nothing. I mean, we can't. So, but if we have the word ayin, ayin means. Ayin, ayin means anything which has to do with <coughs> spirituality, which is part of God. So we refer to that as ayin, because we cannot see it, we cannot feel it. So yesh is something which I can feel, I can see, I can hear. So to me, this is yesh, this is, a, this is existence, this is reality. Anything which I can see, to me, it's not reality. It's not reality. Now if I see this jet is flying there, to me, I see that the jet is flying, but I mean, but I don't understand how it's flying because I didn't study it. So I trust that there is a system that, that works that keeps it flying. But I don't know, I have no idea how it really flies. I have no idea how God created the world. I don't ha have any, I don't, uh, we do know that God created the world. So. Anything which is not Gashmius. Gashmius means materialistic, which I can feel. We refer to it as Ayn. Ayn, really what it means, is the power of God that created the world. That power is Ayn. We refer to it as Ayn because in reference with Yesh, with material, this is Ayn because the material wasn't there. The definition of material is space and time. Before God created the world, there was no concept of space and time. And we have no way to understand what do you mean there is no space or time. Everything takes up space. And every minute, time moves. Every split second, time moves. What do you mean there was... But the answer is that the concept of time and space is a new creation. And before God created the world, there was no space and there was no time. We have no way to know. It's like someone who was born blind. He never saw the light of, of day. And you're going to explain to him that this is black and this is white. And he's going to look at you, he's going to touch it, and he's going to say, what are you, what are you talking about? What do you mean white and black? He doesn't understand what, is, what you're talking about. All he can do is just feel the texture, he can feel the difference maybe, but I mean, color, he doesn't understand what you're talking about. 
Likewise, if we are going to explain, if we are going to think, to dream, what does it mean that before creation there was no time and space? Uh, that's very difficult for us to understand. How could we understand it? But the fact is that, you know, there's a uh, story. In the olden times there was a Poretz. Anyone knows what is a Poretz? A Poretz was the, uh, like a king. Landlord? A landlord. Uh, he, he had, he had uh, forests, uh, he had uh, rivers, he had fields, he had animals, he had uh, cows. He, I mean, uh, he was like the, not the landlord, but the lord. <laughs> he, he had, and they used to call such a person Poretz. Now, this poet had so many fields and so much property that obviously he could not manage by himself everything. So he rented out to other people that they should take care and pay rent. And most of those who took advantage of were Jewish people. And once a year, they had to bring in the rent to the poets or else. <coughs> If they didn't bring in the rent on the day, they, he would take not only the, 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 the one who rented, but his wife and children and put them in a prison. The prison was an underground, some kind of a uh, jail, so to speak, and that's where they would live. Until the relatives would get together, get some money, and would redeem get the, the family out of, of this uh, situation. And every morning, the poets had uh, someone to throw in some water and bread to keep them alive. And the story goes that a child was born in there. When the child was born in that pit, dark pit, as he started to grow up, he realized that every morning he didn't know what is morning, what is night, what is day. But at a certain time, something falls down. It's water, a container of water and bread, and this is what the family is <coughs> existing on. And the parents are trying to explain to this baby, to this little kid, you should know that actually there's a whole world on top of us, and that there is day, and there is night, there are fields and there are oceans and this child says what in the world are you talking about I'm already a five-year-old or ten-year-old and nothing like that exists I mean you're just making up you're dreaming up stories for me I mean I really don't believe in that I never saw it I don't believe all I know is that every day every day there's dozens of days so this is where we are we are in this pit, you know. We were born into this pit, and therefore it's very difficult for us to realize what it means creation, what was before creation, what it means that before creation there was no time and space. So it's very difficult for us to understand it. However, let's go back to Hebrew. We know that we have 22 letters in Hebrew. Besides the 22 letters, we have five uh, end letters. 
Hebrew is a very easy language. What makes Hebrew an easy language is that a letter will always have the same sound. And the vowel will always have the same sound. It will never change. For those who were born in the English-speaking country, I want to bring to your attention that in your language, we never know what a vowel means. A vowel can mean ah and oh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm a foreigner. And I see a letter like a word C-U-T, and I would read it could, because it's a U. So I would read it could. I wouldn't know any better. And E-A-R, I would read E-R, but I was told that's E-R. And H-E-A-R, I was told I have to read it here. And if I put a T at the end, you know what happens. It's not here, it's not here. There's a T at the end. So it's hot. Now, from, I'm a person of average intelligence and maybe below, so I find it very difficult to understand this. In fact, you're actually not reading syllables, you're reading words. Because when you start reading the word here, and with the T at the end, don't, don't try to start reading, you just look at the word. You look at the picture and you say, this word represents heart. In Hebrew, you read syllables. The Aleph will always have the sound Aleph. The base will always base. It will never change. It's like there's something which you call G, like general. No, G is, uh, uh, sometimes it's good, right? So it's G. Sometimes it's, I mean, it's very confusing. I mean, you understand, I'm a foreigner, so I have problems. But in Hebrew, you don't have this problem because a gimel will always have the sound of a gimel. And a dalet will have a sound of a duh, of a dalet. A nekudah, a vowel, will always have the same nekudah. And you don't read words in Hebrew, you read syllables. There isn't such thing as a very long word. I have problems reading this word. You don't have to read this word. Just start reading syllables. And you'll get through this word. When you start, it's going to be a little slower. As you get more acquainted, then the syllables get closer together and it becomes a normal, simple word. Concerning language in general, we have different dialects. When I listen to a Southern English, I'm getting lost. But there are some people that to them it's so natural, you know. This is English, this is English, but it's a different dialect, a different pronunciation or whatever. We have a problem that the pronunciation, the way it was in the time of uh, Avroham, Yitzhak Yaakov, or David Amelach, Shlomo Amelach, King David, King Salman, they had a, they spoke a Hebrew, which was original, obviously. After we were exiled in different countries, we assumed the dialect uh, of the other countries. 
and therefore the Jew who comes from Yemen and one who comes from Romania or from Iraq or from Spain or from Russia we all have the same Sefer Torah we have the same Torah and we have the same Sidur more or less but the pronunciation is completely different obviously the Yemenite who lived in the Middle East they maintained as close as possible to the original those who were exiled to Europe we have obviously changed our Hebrew to a different dialect where the Sephardi can hardly understand what we are talking about some people who come from Poland will pronounce Baruchato, one will say Baruchato, one will say Baruchata. There's going to be differences, but we know that the Sephardim, especially the Yemenites, they are very close to the original. Excuse me? How do we know that? How do we know they didn't take the uh, language? Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a Gimora, or it's in Shechonoruch that when we say Shema Yisrael we have to make sure that we don't uh, confuse an Aleph and an Ayin right? but we do we do confuse an Aleph and an Ayin Komet's Aleph or Komet's Ayin or ask any little boy in Cheder he'll tell you Aleph and Ayin is the same thing and a Ches and a Chof he'll tell you is the same thing Rabbi said it's the same thing and a vase and a vov is the same thing. Pasach vase va, pasach vov va, right? But it's fadim, it's not right. There's a, uh, in Shochanoch it says that in Shema Yisrael there's a uh, word Asher Nishba Hashem. Before the second parsha, the second uh, chapter in Shema Yisrael. Now, the word Nishba, right, is spelled, okay, this is the way it's spelled in the Siddur, in the Chumosha, as a matter of fact, okay, now this is Ni, Nish, Ba, right? What about the iron? My teacher told me, my teacher didn't tell me because I grew up in Israel, so my teacher knew. But I'm talking about my other teachers, not in Israel. Uh, we are told that this iron is a silent letter, right? Just like uh, This is Moshe. Moshe is Mem Shin. What about the He? The He is a silent letter. You ignore the He. In Nishba, and that is Nishma Yisrael, we are told that the Ayin should be ignored because the Ayin is a silent letter. So, if you want, I'll bring a Shulchan and show it to you. It says in Shulchan and it's from the Gemara. 
we have to be very careful to sound the iron because if you don't sound the iron it sounds like nishba which means captured in hebrew means he was captured by the enemy in captivity and since we refer to God that God swore to Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov to give us that's the soil and other things right so therefore it says just make sure to sound the iron properly so that it should not be God forbid as if saying that God was captured so you have to pronounce the word Nishba. Don't say Nishba, but say Nishba. Now, the Sfaradi knows that whenever there's an ayin at the end, you have to pronounce it. Because the ayin is not a silent letter, the hay is a silent letter. But the ayin is not a silent letter, God forbid, it's not. Nishba. Now, the, anyone who speaks uh, the Arab, they have no problem to pronounce an O oh at the end or a H at the end. Because this is part of language. This is the Middle East <coughs> dialect. Okay? In Europe, to pronounce an ayin, nishba. What is that? How do you do that? How do you do that? Nishba. But the Yemenite has no problem. I listen every morning to Kol Israel. Kol Israel is the official Hebrew. It's a, it's a government radio agency. Uh, unfortunately, the government in Israel is not religious, and we all know that. However, it is a Jewish state. So every morning they start 6 in the morning. Over here it's 11 at night. So when I turn on my shortwave to capture, to catch Israel, it's 11 o'clock here before I go to sleep. Over there it's 6 in the morning. And the day starts. Sfaradi reads Shema Yisrael up to Uri Sharecha. Zohar? No Zohar. Yeshanda b'shesh b'boker. So, you hear the Sfaradi saying, Shema Yisrael Hashem Echand. Ve'ahavta et lechol l'babacha yihir. Now he has no problem to say Shema Yisrael. Because to him, the iron is not a silent letter. To us, it is. So we better believe it, that our dialect is not true. Okay? Now, when I was a little boy in Tel Aviv, I went to Daven in the Yemenite quarter. So I was there every Shabbos almost. I went to the Yemenites to listen to their davening. It was, I mean, I was a 10-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy. It was wonderful. The little boy started from the beginning up to Borcho. Uh, he would say word for word, and everyone would follow. And when they read in the Torah, the Balkorah would read a Pesach, and the a boy would say the Targum. It was an experience to observe this Yemenite davening. You better believe it. <laughs> but don't, don't do it in public because they'll say, what are you doing? The iron is a silent letter. It's not true. It's not true. But when it comes to this uh, word, it says in 
in our Shulchanoch, in our Code of Law. That you should not say Nishba, but say Nishba. Not Shema, but Shema. Shema. Right, the iron is a letter that you pronounce by the end. But, I mean, no one knows it. I'm talking about rabbis. I'm talking about if they were not... I mean, I was fortunate enough to grow up with, with Yemenites. So, I, to me, it's a natural thing. But this is how it is. We are definitely... We were affected by other languages. Something which I keep on repeating myself. Uh, our three... Ovos, patriarchs, right? Anyone knows the three names? Oh. What? Yitzhak. Abraham, Yitzhak. Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Now, we all know that, right? Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, it's Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Because, how can we say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because the stress in English is always on the first syllable, right? So therefore it's Grand Central Station, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. If you would be in Paris, you would say Station, Central, it would be towards the end, the last syllable. In Hebrew, it's the last syllable. But since we live in an English-speaking society, so it's Boruch, Ato, right? Because it's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But you go to a Yemenite community, and they're going to say, hey, well, what is he talking about? Well, well, he doesn't know how to read. It's Abraham, it's Haq, Yaakov. Horrible. So, this is our situation concerning language. And it's very discouraging, but we have to fight on. <laughs> okay. Uh, one item that we are completely different in English is the shvo. How many know the olive base? Okay. Anyone knows the vowels? Okay. Here are, here are the vowels. Okay. This is an O. A. A, E. This is O, 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 E. This is E. This two are U. Okay. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven vowels. The U can be either this under or that's it. Okay. So we have seven vowels in Hebrew. Now, if this is an R, it will be an R under all circumstances. It's not going to change. So if you put a base or a B over this letter, it's going to be BA. No other way. It's going to be BA. If it's going to be O, it will be BO. There's no such, no, no two ways about it. There's no B-O-O-K to make it book. Never mind. Boo is going to be either this or this. This is the O. Case closed. Now, most of you notice that we skipped this four. We skipped. The reason why we skipped this four 
is because this is not a vowel. This is called shvo. You don't have it in English. In English, if you don't have a vowel, you just pronounce, you sound the letter, right? And sometimes the letter is silent. So you don't sound the letter, okay? How many syllables do we have here? One. What happens to the B? You sound it B. Okay? The R is sounded with the O O. What happens to the K? You sound the K. Right? Block. Okay, block. Right? Very simple. So you just sound it. This one, you have a problem there. I mean, you don't, I have. There's a K, which you don't sound because there's a word for, for an N, you don't sound. Uh -huh. So you have to memorize that this K, you don't sound. And the G is really not sounded, is it? The G, the G just ignore the G. Actually, it's a, uh, okay. Now, in Hebrew, you don't have these things. In Hebrew, if you have a letter, you sound the letter, provided that it has either a vowel or a shvo. If you have a shvo, you sound it. If you don't have a shvo, it's a silent letter. So what is a shvo doing? A shvo is not a vowel. Because, now let's see if we can try to understand it very clearly. A vowel forms a syllable. A vowel forms a syllable. If you want to know how many syllables are in the Hebrew word, what do you do? You count the vowels. The number of vowels, that's the number of syllables. However, since this is not a vowel, you wouldn't count what is not a vowel. Okay? Now, just to give you an idea, in Hebrew, I would not read a, a B. I wouldn't read it. I would need a shvo over here to make me read the B. Because if you don't have a shvo, you ignore it. But if you have a shvo, it tells you that this B is to be read. So I'm going to say, Brook. And over here, by the end, is also a shvo. It's not printed normally, but I need a shvo in order to sound a letter. In English, there is no shvo. If it doesn't have a vowel, sometimes you, sometimes you don't sound it. In Hebrew, the shvo tells you, I am not silent. That's all the shvo is telling you. To make it clearer, a vowel is supposed to tell you how to pronounce the, the mem, okay? This tells me to pronounce the mem mo, ma, may, me, me, mu. It tells me how to pronounce the mem. The shvot doesn't tell me how to pronounce the mem. The shvot only tells me what? 
sound demand. Therefore, it is not a vowel and it doesn't form a syllable. Okay, so obviously that presents a problem for new readers, but this is a very simple system. There is no way that you can go wrong if you understand the system. There are no uh, exceptions, although there are, because it's dikduk, right? So there are exceptions, some, but as a rule, this is how it works. There is no such thing in Hebrew where you're going to have this nuance D-E-A-R, D-E-E-R, right? I am a foreigner. I read it either way. I say deal. You are going to say, no, 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 you are not an uh, American born. I'm going to say, my dear friend, and I see a deal. In your language, there is a distinction, right? Should be. Is that how it sounds? No. It no. sounds exactly the same. Sounds the same? Exactly the same. Like and all. What? It's like all and all. Uh, the spell is different, they sound the same, they mean different, same thing. Okay. All and all. Or, 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 wait, w, all. or W E A R and W H E R E. Where? Okay. Uh, P E A C E. Peace. Right? Or there are some of peas that are put in the soup. Um, uh, a a peas or peas. Ah, let's say. Peas? Yes. Or peas. Ah, okay. Do you understand that I don't hear the difference? And when I sp say, when I speak English, my children will say, no, you're not pronouncing it correctly. This is spelled with an E-A and this is spelled with a... In Hebrew, you don't have this problem. In Hebrew, you don't have this problem because the vowel has only one sound. This is all under all circumstances. Unless you're a Sephardi, then you're going to pronounce it ah most of the time. Because the Sephardi knows that we have two O's. We have an O where they read it R, and they have an O where they read it O. There are actually two O's, but we don't want to know about this. Do they want to know about it? Mashal. Mashal. Call this Lord Yashlam. Call this Lord Hadrim. Okay. Call this Lord, right? Call him. Whether you're a Sephardi or a Ashkenazi, you're not going to read Kal, you're going to read Kol Israel, right? Chachma or Chochma? Chochma. Chochma, aha. So there's sometimes an O which is a Komatz Godol or a Komatz Koton. We Ashkenazim don't know the difference. We always say O and that's all there is. Okay, in any event, it's a very easy language, very interesting language, a very holy language, a language which is being mispronounced by most of the Jews. <laughs> and uh, I apologize to the Ashkenazic Jews around here that I was critical. But yes. So how do you pronounce the, uh, I'm not sure, the Kalmats? The value we're just working with. 
Oh, the chromats? Yeah. Okay. What, I, I don't understand the distinction okay. between the Sephardi okay. and the Ashkenaz. We always pronounce it as O. We Ashkenazim. Okay. Us Ashkenazim. We pronounce it as O. So, it doesn't make a difference whether it's a small O or a, so to speak, big O. The Sephardi, he better know, he better, he must know whether, what kind of a komatz it is. Because the Sephardi pronounces the O as an A. He says, Baruch Ata. Right? So he pronounces it, the O, he pronounces it like an A. But then, if there is the small O, he pronounces it as an O. Like, call Israel Bechokhmah. You understand? So, he must know the difference between this O and the other O. But we, to us, it doesn't make a difference because we pronounce it the same way anyway. But for the Sfaradim, they have a problem. And also, the American Olim, when they come to Israel, they keep on saying Baruch Atah. But when it comes to a small kot, a small komatz, they say Bechachma, or Kal Israel Chavirim. You understand? It becomes a problem. In any event, yes? I have two quick questions. Go on. I hear some people pronounce the Shva as an if. Like in Hamborach, I hear some people yeah. say Hamiborach. I used to say Mehborach. Is that wrong? It should be silent? No. The Shva tells you, I am not silent. So you must sound the Mem, M. Oh, okay. So it's Hamivorach. Now you're asking where the stress is. It's Hamivorach. So it's not Hamivorach. No, 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 no. We, let's break it up in syllables. No, no, no. Break it up in syllables. It's Ha-Mivorach. Okay? So it becomes an M. Hmm. M. Actually, in the S sound, there's a vowel sound, right? No, no. The M has a sound, right? Do you, can you think of an English word with an M without a vowel? Him? Okay? How do you pronounce the M in him? He? Him. Fine. Hmm. That's it. In Hebrew, you would have a shvo to, under the mem to tell you, sound me. But you sound the mem with a shvo like you sound in him. Okay? Can anyone think of a, uh, I don't, my English is very poor, but can you uh, think of an M in beginning of a word without a vowel? Sometimes we actually do pronounce it like it's a vowel. No, no. We are talking about Shvono and Shvonoch. Okay? Mm -hmm. Shvono and Shvonoch, if you have enough patience to listen, we'll discuss it. We have two Shvos. In Shema, the Shvo starts a syllable. Right? How do I know it starts a syllable? Because it's the beginning of the word. Right? So it starts a new syllable. A shvo must lean on a letter with a vowel. Because you must have a syllable. And a shvo is not a syllable. So you must have a letter with a vowel 
to form a syllable. The shwa leans on it, on the letter with a vowel. The word can be mispronounced in two possible ways. One, the way I just said, shma. That's wrong. The other way, shema. That's again wrong because you made a syllable out of it. The right way to pronounce is shema. Not shema, but shema. Now, for just like I can't understand the difference between the nuances in the English uh, words, uh, we, as English-speaking people, uh, will have a, a problem understanding, feeling the difference between Shema or Shema. But there is a difference. One is Shema, the wrong way, the right way, Shema. Which means that when you start a syllable with a Shwa, the Shwa has some weight to it by saying Shema instead of Shema. If the Shwa would end the syllable, right, you would say Eish or Ish, not Eisha, but Eish. Okay, so if a Shwa ends a syllable, it's a short one, Eish. If it starts a syllable, it's a long Shwa, Shema. Or if it's in the middle. What? If it's in the middle. If it's in the middle, we are lost if it's in the middle because we don't know whether it starts a syllable or it ends a syllable. So you just leave it That's where the star comes in. The star will always be over a shvo, telling you is it starting a syllable or it ends a syllable. If it starts a syllable, it's a long shvo. If it ends a syllable, it's a short shvo. Like Beshiv, we all have. Okay. Two right next to each other. Oh, Yisrael. Simple. Shema Yisrael. Okay. I can say Yisrael. Three syllables. I can say Yisrael. Then the Shwa under the sin will start a new syllable. The answer is you have to assume that the Shwa in the middle of a word ends the syllable. Because it's in most cases. In the event that the shwa in the middle of a word starts a syllable, that's where you get the start on top. I'm telling you, uh, mister, this is different. Now we start a syllable. So therefore, it's b'shiv t'cho. Okay? Oh, then have a siddur over here. Fine, okay, look in the siddur, you'll see that every star is over a shwa. And when this star tells you what? Start a new Okay. Uh, ash. Don't say Ashray, but Ashray. Is it Yoshvay? No. This start out it's Yoshvay. So that makes it a longer. And by the way, whenever there will be an O, a Cholom, the Shwabeda will start in the syllable by the way. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much for your patience.